0: Welcome. Friends of the Palace Grand is a not-for-profit theatre society located on the traditional territory of the Tr'ondëk quetchen in the frontier town of Dawson City, Yukon, Canada. We are proud to present the radio play series Encounters of the Yukon. Before our radio play feature, we'd like to present a short created by Carol McBride titled Just a Minute.
1: suppose you had a minute, less than a minute, where the world listened. It wouldn't matter that you're a woman and old. They really listened. Like if there was some kind of implanted empathy device. As people pass, they can feel what you feel. A larger audience. What would the message be? Like a eulogy? An epitaph? No, you're not dead. Like a want ad? No, they can get it. A rallying cry. A mantra. One minute, they would be there for what's important to me, not your ego. You get this one opportunity. A speech from Miss Universe, this world peace from victims of misogyny. Not just that, patriarchy, privilege, the whole bit. Like a tattoo, an elevator pitch, a big ass bumper sticker. I've seen it. If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Not to give anger that much cred. What about just pay attention or better yet, pay just attention. Yeah. And don't forget to breathe. Isn't that implied? And
0: now on to the feature presentation, Strange Things Happen in the Land of the Midnight Sun, written by Beverly Wood. Please enjoy the show.
2: Susie Q, it's getting dark. Glad I fed the dogs and filled the lamps before we left this afternoon. Hey, be nice to get home, sweetie Susie. Hope the fire's still going good. Come on, Susie. Hey guys, how's it going? Home sweet home, I say. What y'all doing?
3: I loved the cabin. It was an old trapper's cabin made of logs with a bit of sunken roof on the back corner that I, over time, learned how to look after just fine. This wasn't my first rodeo-making do in the bushes. I just kept the snow off, made a trough for the rain to run free, and even had a water barrel to catch it all. I bought this cabin in the bushes, for me, my dogs, and a quiet isolation, away from everything. This place was all I could have ever wanted. I was on the bank of the Yukon River, tucked quietly, quaintly in the tall, thick spruce. It had everything I needed, and back in those days I had a theory: if you weren't freezing in the dark, then you were fine. I had it covered, not a worry in the world. It was nice, better than nice. It was perfect. What a beautiful night, eh, Susie? Susie Q, are you with me? This evening was a typical Yukon fall-time evening in all its cool, clean, fresh air glory. Little did I know that there would be no typical to be had this night. I was about to have the weirdest, most unexplainable experience that to this day, many, many years later, nothing could ever compare. Hello, hello,
2: don't you guys worry. I'll just be inside, you're all looking good tonight. See you later. See you guys later now. Come on, Susie, let's go in.
3: My pet dog Susie, a medium-sized, black-haired, curly dog who walked with me, rode with me, slept with me, went everywhere with me. She was the greatest of companions. Now I had another dog named Hank, 120 pounds of solid spook, antisocial and territorial. He never ever bit anyone, but he was a serious spooker that would scare the bejesus out of anyone. He was a good, watch dog.
2: Ooh wee There's a sauna in here, Susie. Phew, it's hot. There must be a huge bed of coals in the bottom of that stove. Nice. I'll just throw some wood in there and shut it down for the night.
3: Yep. Back then, I had a bit of a young ego happening. I was such a smartypants pants in my own mind. Knowing that my fire had never gone totally out from September to May fueled that one for me real well. Never have to split kindling, never had to hunt paper, and never had to wait long for the cabin logs to warm right up. Saved me the chore of going to Whitehorse Star newspaper for Firestarter on my dreaded trip to town. Whitehorse Town. We used to call it Electric Town. A lot of us lived without electricity back then. You going to Electric Town this week? Someone might ask. Yep, I guess so if I have to. There was an old outstanding joke around town. What you up to? Oh, not much. Just gathering gossip and trying not to die. (laughs) Yep, you make your little nest there,
2: Susie, and I'll be there in no time. Whooey! It's hot in here.
3: I had a beautiful homemade barrel stove that, with a little help, could be completely airtight.
2: Ooh, wait—is that ever hot?
3: I loved the night that I bought my hundred-dollar, fifteen-inch black-and-white TV and set it on the bench in the middle of the cabin. It was a simple TV, lightweight black plastic, and it fit easy right on the homemade wooden bench. I unraveled all the wires, checking to make sure it was an easy hookup. Red clip, black clip, yep, easy. Hooked it up to my huge deep cell cap battery that sat on the floor in the corner and turned the knob. ooh Lo and behold, I had TV. I had not had TV for many years, and this one would now fill the cabin with CBC everything. It was the only channel I could get and plenty good enough for me. The outside world entertained with a soft hello. And the inside of the cabin was never the same again. Company had arrived. Everyone from Peter Mansbridge to Big Bird. Life changed ever after with that small black box. Well, might as well light the lamps now and then I can join you. It's gonna get real dark in here pretty quick, CZQ. Boy oh boy thought of a free night with nothing to do besides relax. Sweet little Susie was comfortable waiting for me to do just that. I'd taken a long day this day and I was done. Tired. The warm orange glow of the coal oil lamp settling in in a precious peace filled the cabin air with nothing short of solace.
2: Move over Susie
3: Q. I'm getting in. Not sure how long I laid there that night staring at the TV not really watching it. I couldn't tell you what was on when I decided to jump up and look out the window to check on the dogs. From the light of the Yukon skies at night, star filled, a bright moon, I love looking over the dog yard and would look out the window by the wood stove every so often just to make sure all was well and I must admit to take in some comfy tranquility that lived there. I have 14 dogs total in all different stages of development and mutthood. I just love to check on the gang, take in all the different degrees of contentment just outside the cabin walls. And that's when I saw it. What in the hell is that? Now, at that moment, my brain just had nowhere to put what I was looking at. Shimmering above the snow, about two feet from the cabin wall, pink haze was hovered. Almost like a light smoke floating tethered to the ground. Oh my god, what the hell is that? I quickly looked up into the sky to see if I could see something shining down from up there, and there was nothing. What in the hell is that? I just knew that somehow, somewhere, there had to be an explanation. I had that kind of practical, logical stuff going on back then, and simply could not resist. So up I got, back to the window, and yep, there it still was. I headed out the door. This quivering light pink haze the was just there. Why? It was about eight feet in diameter and about half an inch off the ground. I looked over the sky to get the panoramic just in case. It was a clear night full of stars, a half moon, and nothing else. I was a bit spooked and didn't want to be outside by myself in the bushes in the dark right at that moment. A quick glance at Hank's doghouse told me that he wasn't the least bit concerned about anything.
2: Oh, Susie, what in the hell is that?
3: I just sat my extremely bewildered self back down on the bed and wrapped my arms around Susie Q, giving her a good snuggle and a big kiss. Pulling her face towards mine, making eye contact, I searched deep into her big brown eyes as if she could actually answer me. Of course, I couldn't let it go. I just had to know what that was, and the only other option I could think of was to go down to the river. Maybe, just maybe, there's something on the bridge causing this? I had to figure this out. Still a bit afraid, I grabbed my 30-30 Winchester from the corner where it stood and headed out the door down to the point. Come on, Susie. Let's go. Now, of course, it was no surprise that when I looked down the river to the bridge, there was nothing there. Nothing at all. In fact, it seemed as if it had just made everything quieter and spookier. With the reality sinking in deeper, I quickly turned around, took myself, my Susie dog, and my gun, and headed back to what I thought was the safety of my cabin. But not without taking another good look at this eerie, invalid presence, and yes, it was still there. I thought, it's getting late, I need to work in the morning, I just need to go to bed. I had an unconscious faith that if anything was seriously going on, the dogs would tell me somehow. sat for a minute, just searching my logic. Maybe, just maybe, I have a smoldering chimney fire? That would explain everything. I pictured smoldering red-hot coals under the overhang on my old roof, and out the door I went. Come on, Susie.
2: I know what it is.
3: I was tired now and felt a little bit more apprehension, so before going too far from the door, I glanced over at the dogs. Of course. I had learned to read them and their body language quite well, so if anything was off, or scary, they would be telling me right now. They were all in different degrees of relax. All seemed fine in the dog yard. Susie stayed close by sniffing around in her normal nonchalant kind of way, probably wondering what the hell we were doing outside at this time. Looking up at the overhang on the roof, I could see it was completely normal, nothing out of the ordinary there. And with that, I once again quickly turned around and scooted back inside the cabin. Susie, in a hasty toe, followed right behind. Now, on this night, I went to bed, gun close at hand, just a little unnerved, and pulled the scarlet O'Hara gone with the wind. The same line that she had become so famous for over centuries had become a staple in my life, and on this night, I needed it. I think about that tomorrow. Tomorrow's another day ran through my mind, and I just cozied right into those hammock-type bed springs and quickly fell asleep. Now, I had had dreams before, nightmares even, but nothing quite like this one. I found myself standing out in the front of the cabin in my dream, and it was not only broad daylight, but there were what seemed like hundreds of people milling around. They were excited, chattering strangers, moving around quickly everywhere, also bumping into each other in unbridled excitement. I was shocked. I discovered that all this hyper chatter was them talking about building a town here, right here.
2: No, no, you can build here, I live here. Hey, hello, hello.
3: That's when I realized that not only could no one hear me, but that no one could see me either. As I frantically got animated louder and louder, waving my arms in front of faces, it became undeniably clear to them I wasn't there.
2: Hello, can you hear me? I'm right here.
3: Please. You can't stay here. It became so viscerally clear in that moment that I wasn't actually there. I felt like I had no substance, an empty orb almost. And that's when I thought, where's Hank? In my dream, I walked over to his house to find that it had been cut in half with a power saw and the blood covered the edges of the fresh cut scared the hell out of me, and I sat up like a dart. <laughs> I woke in a panic. Blinking, I now had a headache that consumed my whole head. I had never experienced such a headache. Every bone in my face and head was throbbing, and there was no getting rid of it. It actually made me shiver and feel clammy all over. Knowing I had to work in the morning, I desperately tried to go back to sleep. But with this headache, the shivering, the clammy cold sweat i laid awake for hours every once in a while i would check the clock to see what time it was 1:10, 155 head pounding the last time i recall looking at the clock it was two thirty, and just a little while later maybe 10 minutes i saw vehicle lights shining in the window they hit the inside south wall as they always did when someone was coming down the driveway along the river the lights quietly moved along the wall nothing out of the ordinary. I watched the car lights slowly move along the wall, Susie patiently waiting by the door. I laid there with my eyes closed, waiting, wondering why the team wasn't barking. Waiting, waiting, waiting to hear the dogs bark, waiting to hear a knock, to hear the roar of a motor turning around in front of the cabin. I don't know how much time had passed, but I do know it was just minutes. I got up and looked out the window. There was nothing there. Nothing there at all. How is that even possible? I knew this place well enough and I knew what it sounded like when a car drove up and turned around to leave. What the hell was that? There was no way a car could come down the driveway and then just disappear into thin air. I started to get real spooked. Way too much strange going on now. I was scared. I reached down beside the bed to make sure that Susie was there, and with my hand wrapped its soft, sweet curls, I knew, yep, she was real. I wasn't dreaming at all. I just laid there shivering, when all of a sudden, a thought, out of the blue, ran through my mind. Aliens. I had never thought aliens in my whole entire life. Ooh, my god, oh my god, is it that time already? I still wasn't entirely awake before the thoughts of the previous night began to filter in. I felt tired and spacing my head, but my headache was gone. I got up and headed for the door to let Susie out for her morning pee, but not without glancing out the window first. It was gone. As far as I could tell, it hadn't left a mark, at least not on the ground anyway. Susie, of course, headed right out the door for a morning pee as if nothing had happened. I watched her closely just to see if there was anything unusual in her behavior. She just wandered off slowly, relaxed and sniffing no different than any other morning. One quick trip to the outhouse and I was ready to roll. Come
2: on, Susie, let's go. Time to go, kiddo. Hi, guys. How's it going this morning? I'll be back at lunch, don't you worry.
3: Because I always hated to leave my little refuge in the quiet incognito of the tall trees, I'd usually take my time going down that long, bumpy driveway along the river, but I needed to unload and I was in a hurry to do just that. Tracy was just a short drive from where I came out on the highway, maybe about five minutes, three minutes this morning. I was secretly hoping that she might be able to come up with some reasonable explanation, but no. It turned out to be the opposite of that. Turned off the highway, past the yield sign, so perfectly disguised as a stop sign, and headed towards her place. I'm sure she heard me coming. Hi, Trace. You would not believe
2: what happened to me last night. Aliens!
3: Why did you say that, Trace? Tracy had an expression on her face that I had never seen before as she walked over and sat at the top of the stairs looking down on me. I could see that she was perplexed
4: big time. You wouldn't believe the dream I had last night. What was it? And why did you say aliens? I dreamt that I was trying to get down to your place and I couldn't get there. You know, when you run and you're just not getting anywhere? Well, it was like that. It was like I was trying to run through nothing. I, I don't know how to explain it.
2: I know what you mean. I've had that feeling before in my dreams. Trying to run and just not getting
4: anywhere? But but why did you say alien? Just wait. It was like I was stuck on your road with no way of getting out, off, or away anywhere. It was freaky. And it was that real dark where you just know, even if you put your hand right in front of your face, you wouldn't be able to see it. But I could see these things. These creatures peeking around the trees at me. They looked like aliens. There were short ones and tall ones, and they just kept peeking at me. I'll never forget their faces. I was terrified, and I could just see that some of the tall ones actually felt sorry for me because I was so scared. I just kept trying to get to the cabin, but I couldn't, I couldn't get anywhere. I was so flippin' scared, I just wanted to get out of there immediately. Next thing I knew, there I was, standing at the front door. But I couldn't get a hold of the doorknob. I couldn't open the door. I kept trying, but my hand kept going right through. It was like I was a ghost, and I I wasn't really there. Panicked, I ran across the street to see if the neighbours could help me. And the same thing. Every time I tried to knock on their door, my fist would go right through. I was so scared, and that's when I woke up. What a weird, flippin' dream!
2: Oh my god, Trace, let me tell you.
3: I proceeded to tell Trace every detail of what had happened over the course of the night. I could see Trace's facial expressions change, and at one point, she even got up and walked away. Her dream still so fresh in her mind that she simply could not hear anymore. What do you think that was?
2: I don't know. I really don't know. All I know for sure, Trace, is what I
3: saw and that's all. That I do know. And that's all I know. Tracy and I did go over the night a few more times throughout the day, still not knowing what the hell happened.
2: Why would either of us even think of aliens? It's not like it's ever crossed my mind. Has it ever crossed yours? Or have you ever heard of any weird stories or anything? No, no, not ever.
4: Can not imagine where that would have come from? What a weird dream. I've never thought about aliens, never mind talked about them. Me too, Trace. That's just way too weird for me. I don't know what to
3: think of it all. At some point, I asked Tracy if she could draw a picture of the aliens she saw in her dream and she did. They had big heads and big black oblong eyes that sat differently on their faces. The short ones were more roundish looking than the tall ones, which were quite thin. To this day, those images have never left me. Years later, when Tracy first saw a picture on a book cover in our local bookstore, she said, there they are, that's them. That's exactly what they look like. I was afraid to go back down to the cabin to spend the night for a few weeks after that. I would go down during the day and tend to the dogs, their yard, and the fire. Hang around for a while just in case I wanted to brave it once again and stay the night. I was spooked. It wasn't till about two weeks later that I did go back to the cabin one evening after having left just a few hours earlier that afternoon. I missed being there, and I just couldn't stay away any longer. Well, let me tell you.
2: Well, hello again, you guys. I'll be here for the night, so now you guys can just keep your eyes peeled,
3: hey? That's all I ask, okay? I got a surprise for you guys. Susie followed me back, eyes glued on me, tailed just a wagon. I'll be back in a minute, guys. Come on, Susie. Ooh-wee, nice and warm in here, eh, hey, Sus? A cup of hot tea with lots of cream and sugar comes to mind. I know that this always makes me feel full, warm, and relaxed. With both hands wrapped around a fresh hot cup of tea, I stood gazing out the window, remembering not just the pink haze I'd spotted weeks earlier out that exact window, but also recalling how much I loved the twilight, how much I missed that light. It's such a fleeting beauty creating ever-changing shadows as it moves. Sitting quietly now, watching the dust creep in like a warm blanket, the unavoidable crossed my mind. Time to light the lamps. Shadows are starting to stir, and I can tell they're quickly changing. I get up to do that, and that's when it hits. My young imagination instantly pictures an alien peeking from around a shadow corner, and I'm consumed in a millisecond. That's it. I don't even try. What happened that night is still a mystery to Tracy and I. I'm sure we must have told a few people in our travels about that night, although I don't really recall and have a feeling it wasn't very many. I think it was one of those ones where you really had to be there. To this day, over 30 years later, it's still burned in our brains as if it was yesterday. I returned to the cabin the very next night and stayed for many years after building resilience.
0: Strange Things Happen in the Land of the Midnight Sun was written by Beverly Wood, performed by Amy Ball as Young Bev, Lindsay Burse as Old Bev, and Joey O'Neill as Tracy. Original music by Matt Sardi. This series was produced and directed by Robin Sharp, edited by Annie Kearns, production coordination by Ange Benici, that's me, and The Foley was created by Claire Falkenberg and Megan Gamble. The spell of the Yukon lives on in all of us. Thank you for listening.